Titus chapter 1, we're beginning a short series called Postcards from Paul, uh, going through these two little letters, uh, Titus and Philemon, and today we'll be picking it up in Titus 1. If you would pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, we come to you needy, hungry, and eager. Open the eyes of our hearts, O Lord, to behold your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't caught it already, today is kind of a special Sunday, being in proximity to October 31st, which is a very significant day, should be a very significant day for all evangelical Christians. And if you're wondering what's on October 31st, no, it's not Halloween. Uh, I'm speaking of Reformation Day. You see, October 31st, 1517 was a very significant day in church history when a young Roman Catholic monk named Martin Luther went to the door of a church in a town called Wittenberg and nailed to the door his 95 theses calling out the errors of the Roman Catholic Church in his day. And so began this glorious movement, this revival called the Protestant Reformation, in which the gospel was recovered. The gospel of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. What many people don't realize, though, is Luther's journey began a lot earlier than 1517. And people don't know, or commonly it's not recognized, of how significant was the year 1510 in Luther's life, during which he made a pilgrimage to Rome. Rome was viewed as kind of the capital of Christianity, and Luther went there on a pilgrimage. And as a pious Roman Catholic, he was shocked and disgusted by what he saw. Because in Rome, he encountered great corruption. He witnessed firsthand wickedness, immorality, and the unholy lives of so-called Christians, especially the priests. And he realized then that the doctrine that was being taught and proclaimed by the Roman Catholic Church was not producing holiness in the lives of God's people. You see, this is what the idea that you're saved by good works results in. If you come to God trying to earn your salvation or your right standing before God on the basis of your own works, it actually results in disaster. It leads to a kind of life that is filled with hypocrisy, unholiness. No, our salvation our rescue from sin, our redemption from eternal punishment is only by the grace of God as a free gift given to sinners like us through faith in Christ. 
And yet, when we are saved by God's grace, when we truly believe and trust in His promises, when we understand the doctrine of God's gospel grace in truth, it leads to godly living. We're not saved by good works, but God saves us for good works. As Luther used to say, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. You see, friends, true faith and sound doctrine that upholds the grace of God trains us and transforms us into a people who do good works and live godly lives. Luther taught, uh, the Protestant Reformation recovered this truth, that there is an inseparable link between grace and godliness, between doctrine and life. That's what the Protestant Reformation recovered. And that link between grace and godliness also happens to be the main theme of this little New Testament letter that we're starting our series in today called Titus. So would you look with me at the text there in Titus chapter 1. Uh, small correction to your bulletin, we're looking at verses 1 to 4 this morning, and next week we'll pick up verse 5. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this is a greeting that Paul has written at the start of this letter, and he identifies himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and it tells you right there that he is writing to this young man named Titus. Now, we know from elsewhere in the New Testament, Titus was a Gentile believer. He didn't grow up a Jew. He came from a Gentile background, so he was a convert to the Christian faith from a Gentile background. He was probably evangelized and discipled by Paul, which is why Paul calls him my true child in a common faith. There's sort of this spiritual father-son relationship that Paul and Titus share through their faith in Christ. He has great love for this brother. And Paul had given Titus a specific work and task to do. They had traveled together through this island called Crete, which is uh, now in modern day between Greece and Turkey, it's, it's Greek. And Paul had left Titus there to do the work of pastoral ministry. In fact, to do the work of church reformation. Uh, a number of churches existed on this island and they were a little bit out of order. Things were not going so well. And Paul placed Titus there and said, pastor these people, preach and teach the word. Train up and raise up other pastors. Stop the false teachers. And so this was hard work. Titus was facing opposition, 
within the church and from outside the church. He was constantly combating false teachers and imposters. He was dealing with difficult people in a difficult context. The culture in Crete was ungodly. Paul tells us that in chapter 1. And Titus was caring for not just one local church, but he was trying to help a number of local churches that were struggling. And so Paul is writing to Titus to remind him of the work that he has to do, of the gospel of grace that he must proclaim, of what his pastoral ministry must look like. Titus must foster faith. He must teach and instruct people so that they grow in good doctrine. And this must result in godly living in the churches of God. You see, this was urgent. There were a number of false teachers. If you read the letter, you'll see this very clearly in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3. There were a number of false teachers who were upsetting the faith of many. They were teaching a doctrine of salvation by good works, apart from the grace of God. A kind of legalistic doctrine that by eating the right foods and by doing the right things, you could attain a right standing with God. And Paul says, no. It's only God's grace that leads to true godliness. And good doctrine is necessary for godly living. So here Paul gives us this greeting in verses 1 to 4. And Paul uses this uh, kind of strategy that these days people call the BLUF. Bottom line up front. It's used in uh, communication in the army. The most important information, the summary info of everything you're going to say, has to be given right up front in your first few sentences. That what, that's what Paul does here in this greeting. If you look at this greeting, it actually has more words than any other greeting in Paul's letters, with the exception of Romans. And what Paul gives us here, and he gives Titus here in these four verses, is the essence of Christian ministry, of pastoral ministry. In this greeting, Paul gives Titus and us three essential priorities by which pastors must cultivate godliness among the people of God. So that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is godly living, godliness, Christ-likeness for every believer in the local church, that the local church would display Christ. And, and my hope, brothers and sisters is that you would aspire to godliness. The godliness that comes from faith, knowledge of the truth, and hope. And so we're going to look at three priorities for pastors that lead to your godliness. If we're going to accomplish this goal of godly living, there must be three priorities that pastors must pursue, that Paul told Titus to pursue, and that I, by God's grace, and we, your elders, must pursue. First is your growth in faith. Your godliness comes through your growth in faith. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. 
If you look at the old NIV translation, it says, to further the faith of God's elect. Look at how Paul describes himself there. He says, he's a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This isn't just something that Paul took upon himself. He recognizes that God called him, that God appointed him. He tells us in verse 3 that this preaching is something that he was entrusted with by the command of God our Savior. Paul was called and appointed and entrusted with the gospel to make it known, to proclaim it, to instruct God's people. And of course, that authority, that stewardship is handed down to Titus as a local church pastor, not as an apostle, but as one under the authority of God's word, Titus is entrusted with the preaching of God's word. He is to be a servant of Christ among the people of God. And that task, that calling, my friends, is given to every pastor and elder of the local church. If you look there at verse 7, it speaks of elders, of an overseer as God's steward. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. In other words, just as Paul was a servant of God, a steward of God, elders are stewards of God. They have been entrusted by God. We have been entrusted by God as kind of his managers over his household and his servants among his people. Paul's stewardship is passed on to pastors like Titus and to faithful elders in every gospel preaching local church. Why does he serve? What is the purpose of his service? Did you see what he says? He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. You might want to circle that word faith. It's one of the most commonly used nouns in this entire letter. It's used eight times in the letter to Titus. And by faith here, Paul is speaking of continued trust in God and in his promises. Paul wants to see saving faith among the people of God. That's the heart and soul of his ministry. To see people come to saving faith and then live by saving faith. But Paul's ministry is not the cause of their faith. See, there's a deeper cause for their faith, for their belief. Right? Look at how he speaks of God's people. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. The identity of all those who trust in Christ is that they are the chosen people of God. God doesn't choose us because we believe. No, we, are, we believe because we have been chosen. Paul says this is the identity of God's people, of those whom we serve. They are those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world. These are the ones upon whom God set his love from eternity past, before the ages began. Their faith comes about because God has chosen them. And so all those who trust in Jesus, all who have placed their faith in Christ and in his gospel, these are the chosen people of God. Paul is reminding Titus of this truth. He's saying, Titus, these are the ones whom you and I have been called to serve. These are the people whom you and I have been called to lead. 
It's for their faith that we labor, those whom God has chosen, those whom God has set his eternal love upon. So as Titus deals with difficult people in a difficult context, as he deals with all of these folks who've been influenced by a godless culture around them, as he labors for their progress in the faith, their growth in faith, Paul reminds him, Brother Pastor, Brother Titus, the ones whom you are serving are God's elect. They belong to him. They've been chosen out of this godless mess in Crete for godliness. And let that be a reminder to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in Christ this morning, this is your fundamental identity. If you are in Christ today, it's not because you made some decision at some point in time. No, you are in Christ today because you were chosen by God before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. It's entirely a work of God's grace. He chose you before Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Before he laid the foundations of the world, before he said, let there be light, he set his love upon you, he knew you by name, he determined that he would send his son to die for you, that you would be a part of his eternal family in Christ. He chose you, not because he saw anything good in you or anything special in you, not because he knew, oh, you know, I'm going to pick that guy because he's going to be some kind of a winner or a champion. He's going to be the best batsman on the team. No, he didn't choose you because he knew that you would choose him. He chose you because he chose you, because he loved you through nothing in you. And Paul's purpose in preaching, in teaching, in his suffering, in his ministry, his very life burns with this passion so that the chosen people of God will trust in God and in his glorious promises. And brothers and sisters, just as Paul recognized that calling and reminded Titus of that calling, I am reminded, our elders should be reminded, this is why I'm here, this is why we're here. This is why I serve as your pastor. This is why we serve as your elders. It's because you belong to God. You are his chosen ones. And we serve under the lordship of Christ our chief shepherd as stewards and servants of God for your faith. That you would trust in God and his promises. That you would keep on trusting and keep on believing in God and in His promises. That you would grow in confidence and certainty in your trust in the Lord. That's what I pray for. That's why I preach. That's what I'm preaching for. This is what we all ought to encourage one another in. The obedience of faith. That you would trust in God. And it would lead to godliness and obedience in your life. So I want to ask you, dear brothers and sisters, is there an area of your life where you're struggling this morning? Where you're struggling to trust Jesus and His Word? I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on the revealed truth, the reality of who God is, His character, His promises to us in Christ. 
be reminded that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world as part of his plan. He loves you with an eternal love. He's called you to godliness. And may your faith be strengthened this morning by those truths. But we should properly understand what faith, what faith is. What do we mean by faith? Now sometimes we get this mistaken idea that faith is just some kind of undefined inner feeling or experience. Something in you that you, know, you get charged up with faith. Just kind of blind faith, unreasonable, just believing without any facts or reality to back up what you're holding on to. That's not what the Bible means. That's not what Paul means by faith. No, our faith is rooted in facts. Our faith is rooted in reality, in the revealed truth of God, in the knowledge of His truth. That leads to our next priority for pastoral ministry as we labor for the great goal of godliness. Not only do we seek your growth in faith, but second, we also labor for your knowledge of the truth. Your knowledge of the truth. That's a priority for pastors. Look again at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. The knowledge of the truth among God's people was Paul's priority for his apostolic ministry. He wants it to be Titus's priority in his pastoral ministry, and it should be a priority for every pastor of the people of God. Sound doctrine and your knowledge of sound doctrine of the truth is a priority. Why? Because that's what leads to godliness. Truth and your knowledge of the truth leads to transformation. Doctrine is what enables you for duty. Paul is saying, I want to produce a knowledge in God's people that results in godliness among God's people. And when we speak of the knowledge of the truth, don't get me wrong, this is not just we want you to have more information than anybody else. Right? It's not just we want you to know more facts. Or, or win, you know, win every Bible quiz. It's, it's not just trying to make people in the church smarter than others. We want to make you smarter. No, that's not what this is. This is not trying to turn the church into a place where we all do Bible studies all the time and then walk around with big puffed up heads but with no godliness in our lives. No, it's meant to be a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, that accords with godliness. Did you see that there? The knowledge of the truth must affect our everyday affairs, all our relationships, our actions, and our lives. Sound doctrine that leads to godly living. And you can't have one without the other. 
There's a lot of people who might know a lot of doctrine, but if they're not living godly lives, it's worthless. On the other hand, you can't live a godly life that's pleasing to God without a knowledge of the truth, without growing in your understanding of sound doctrine. Sound theology is inseparably connected to godly living. You can't live the Christian life faithfully if you don't know and believe the truth that God reveals about himself and all of life in his word. And this connection, by the way, is a major theme in Titus. It's repeated throughout the letter again and again and again. Uh, You see it right there in the requirements for elders in verses 5 to 9. Elders are to be above reproach. Their lives are to to be holy and upright. They are to set an example to the people of God. But they must be those who hold firm to the trustworthy word and give instruction in sound doctrine. Their knowledge of the truth leads to godly living. You see this connection in how Paul describes the false teachers. They live ungodly lives. They are insubordinate, empty talkers. They upset entire households. They are unfit, he says, in in chapter 1 and verse 16. They are unfit for any good work. Why? Because of the bad doctrine that they hold to. Again, if you go to chapter 2 and verse 1, he commands Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus is to teach sound doctrine. And then in the rest of chapter 2, you see commands for how people should live in the church, in the church community with one another. Doctrine leads to duty. In in chapter 3 and verse 1, he tells Titus to remind the people to be ready for every good work. And right after that, Paul speaks of the doctrine of regeneration, of justification by faith, of God's grace in saving us and renewing us. And then in verse 8, he says, teach these things, teach these truths, teach these doctrines so that Those who have believed will devote themselves to good works. Do you see the connection? Grace leads to good works. Doctrine leads to duty. Sound theology leads to godly living. So I've uh, recently developed this kind of interest and fascination that I've never had in my life before. In fact, even if I tried to take an interest earlier in life, it never really worked out. But somehow this year, it's kind of gripped me. Uh, And this is an interest and fascination with plants. So uh, over this year, I've received uh, from some very kind people a number of different plants. Plants in my office, plants at home. Our house now looks like, you know, like a little forest. Uh, All of these plants. And uh, I'm just interested in how different each plant is from the other one and they're actually pretty simple is what I've learned so in the past they all used to die all the time but now you know I'm I'm taking an interest in the shape and life of these things all they need is water and sunlight and when they get water and sunlight they don't just live they grow. Dear friends, our goal and pastoral priority for you is that you would grow. That you would grow in godliness. 
in good works, in living lives pleasing to God and edifying to one another. And that as you are supplied with the sunlight and water of God's word, with the knowledge of the truth, it would cause you to grow. We want you to leave Abu Dhabi a more mature and godly Christian than when you came to Abu Dhabi. Don't you desire that, dear brother, dear sister? Don't you want your life to look more like Jesus? Don't you want to grow in godly living? Isn't that the desire of every redeemed saint in Christ? Then I want to encourage you as your pastor, take every opportunity, dear saint, dear brother or sister, take every opportunity you can to grow in your knowledge of the truth. And then in the context of a vibrant church community and in committed relationships with other Christians, strive to put that truth into practice. This is why we preach expositionally through books of the Bible and why I try to preach to you doctrinally meaty sermons. This is why we regularly declare and profess our faith with truths that have been sustained from God's word through the ages by reciting the creeds and confessions. This is why we sing some of the songs that we sing is that we want our singing to be filled with rich doctrinal truth that fits with God's word. This is why our worship gathering, our, our order of service is intentionally structured around the truth of God's word. This is why we run ECC equipped classes, three different classes every single week. You know, I really hope that more and more of you will make use of that opportunity, show up at 9 a.m., take one of those courses, they're short, usually four to six weeks long, and grow in your knowledge of the truth. Uh, you know, one brother was telling me the other day, this is like a seminary education, world-class education, offered every week at 9 a.m., and it's free. Right? And he said, I wonder why nobody comes. <laughs> Make the most of that opportunity. This is why we're hoping to host annually and regularly Bible conferences with renowned Bible teachers from around the world. This is why, by God's grace, we have been able to start here, right here in this building, a world-class theological seminary to provide you with education in the truths of God's word. It's because we want you to grow in the knowledge of the truth and as a result, grow in your godliness. You know, I saw this uh, picture posted on social media this past week uh, by a dear brother pastor, uh, Brian Parks in Dubai. And it was a picture of their house. He's been here, he's been in Dubai for 21 years. It was a picture of their house 21 years ago and now, present day. And 21 years ago, right in front of their house, there was this little, kind of looked like a little bush. And now, it's a big palm tree. Friends, that's our goal for you. That you would grow like that as long as the Lord places you here in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, in ECC. And I pray that you will take every opportunity to grow in the knowledge of truth and of godliness. So you see how that works? As we grow in our knowledge of the truth, the Lord begins to wean our hearts away from this world. We begin to grow in our passion 
for the Lord and His truth instead of the lies that the world tells us and offers us. The Lord begins to take our eyes away from the difficulties of our circumstances and He lifts our eyes through His truth to where they should be, towards our hope and the reality that exists beyond this world. Sound doctrine leads to godly living and that godliness is based upon a hope that endures forever. And that's our final priority for pastors that we see in this text. Our big goal is your godliness. And so our priorities that we labor for are first, your growth in faith. Second, your knowledge of the truth. And third, your hope in eternal life. Did you see that in verses 2 and 3? Look at verses 2 and 3. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. The hope of eternal life. And I want you to follow the logic that Paul gives us here between verses uh, 1 and verse 2. The logic there is very important. He's saying that he's a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And the word in there, it, it, it's meant to mean based upon. So Paul labors for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and is based upon the hope of eternal life. Your godliness will have this foundation, must have this foundation under it, the hope of eternal life. And we as pastors, Paul as an apostle, this is our mission to foster in you that hope. Why is the hope of eternal life so crucial? You know, the old Puritan pastor Richard Baxter once said, it is the job of a pastor to prepare his people to die well. I think about this providentially, January 2021, I was appointed as the senior pastor of this church and my first sermon as the senior pastor of ECC was to preach about death and resurrection because a dear brother, member of this church, Lamuel Bashir, had just died that week and gone to be with the Lord. You know, the past couple of weeks, my wife and I have been looking through some old photos on this uh, hard drive that we had. And we were looking at a number of photos from our wedding. And, you know, yeah, we were laughing at about, you know, kind of how young we were and how much more hair I had and how much thinner I was. I could fit into that suit that I don't fit in anymore. But you know what also struck us from those photos? Is how many people were at our wedding who are no longer with us. We looked at this one and that one, and he died, she died. Now, some of them were grandparents who died at a ripe old age. Others, like my father, died old but younger than expected, 
maybe. Some like the brother who first ever, the first person to share the gospel with me, died at 50 from cancer. Then there was this other young man who didn't make it beyond his 20s. Friends, death is certain. You might enjoy a vacation over the summer somewhere or you go on vacation, but here's the certainty with every vacation, it comes to an end. Just like every vacation comes to an end, just like every dream that you have, no matter how pleasant you're going to wake up, Sometime, just like night falls after every day, one day our life on this earth will come to an end. And we try to get away from that thought. We try to avoid it. In the world, people try to make light of it and trivialize it by dressing up as skeletons on Halloween. But friends, it is a grim reality. You will die, and so will I. Pastors labor and preach as dying men to dying people. But in the midst of our dying and decaying world, God promises a hope that stretches beyond this life into eternity the hope of eternal life. That's the hope that Paul had and fixed his eyes upon. That's the hope that he wanted Titus to have. That's what fueled their ministry. And this hope is what he labored for God's people to have. You see, this young guy, this young pastor, Titus, was facing a tough time in Crete. And, and believe this, pastoral ministry is tough. Titus was facing trials, obstacles, setbacks, stressors. He, he was facing difficult circumstances, dealing with difficult people, probably had a lot of draining meetings. Pastors, we are surrounded by ungodly behavior around us and our own sin to battle within us. Titus was dealing with false doctrines, false teachers, people who were following after these false teachers. And in the middle of all that, Paul says, remember this reality. Paul reminds him, the future that God promises is more powerful than the setbacks of this fallen world that we face as pastors and as churches. We have a certain, sure hope of eternal life. And that's what our pursuit of godliness in this present life must rest upon. Notice what he says about, look at who promised this hope. Who has promised this hope? Verse 2. It's the hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, has promised. God Almighty, the sovereign creator God, has promised this eternal life. And He is the God who never lies. He is truth. He is the one who guarantees the fulfillment of all His promises. Not one word of His fails or falls to the ground. Notice when He promised it. Verse 2. The hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Before creation. Before God said, let there be light. Before He created the heavens and the earth, He determined to grant eternal life in His glorious heavenly kingdom to His elect chosen people through Christ. 
And he will fulfill that promise. Did you notice Paul takes us in one short sentence, in one breath, from eternity past, God promised this before the ages began, all the way into eternity future, the hope of eternal life. And then he brings us to the present time in verse 3 saying, At the proper time God has manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. This hope of eternal life was promised in eternity past by the God who never lies. It carries us into eternity future, taking us beyond death, beyond this life, into eternity. And it has been manifested, it has been revealed and brought into the present by God's word. And it's communicated and conveyed to us, granted to us, through the preaching of God's word. The hope of eternal life is fostered through the preaching of the gospel. That's why the ministry of preaching and teaching was central to Paul's work. And it had to be central to Titus's work. And it must be central to the work of every pastor. Paul says, I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. And just as Paul was entrusted, pastors in every local church that proclaims Christ are entrusted by the command of God to preach His word, this good news, and so to foster the hope of eternal life. This trust has been handed down to pastors and elders of local churches to keep preaching until Jesus returns. That's why we preach week after week. That's why you're here. For this hope to grow in your hearts through the proclamation of God's word. That's what I want to preach to you today. Dear believer, dear brother or sister in Christ, I don't know what circumstances you're facing right now. I don't know what suffering you are walking through right now. Many of you are walking through deep suffering and I'm intimately acquainted with that. I don't know what struggles are going on in your life right now and many of you are struggling. But know this, the hope of eternal life will carry you through. Lift your eyes to Christ who is risen from the dead, seated on the throne of God, and who has promised eternal life for all who trust Him. Dear believer, fix your eyes on this Christ today, our Savior. And if you're here this morning, dear non-Christian friend, you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to speak to you. I want to communicate to you the hope of eternal life that you can find in the midst of your hopeless life. And it is indeed hopeless. If you don't know Christ, your life is futile. No matter what your bank account says, no matter what properties you've bought back in your home country, no matter how you think you're doing and you think things are going well, you, like everyone in this room, are a sinner before a holy God. We're all sinners before a holy God, we come into this world sinful, guilty, condemned. 
Death is a certainty. You will die. It will all come to an end. And it will all be meaningless unless you have this hope. You will stand before God, your judge, non-Christian friend, and you will have to give an answer for the life that you've lived and the sins that you have committed against Him. But God is not only judge. He is also God who is a Savior. Did you notice Paul says that twice in this passage? He says he's been entrusted with this in verse 3 by the command of God, our Savior. And then in verse 4, he says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. A clear indication that if God is our Savior, and now we're calling Christ Jesus our Savior, that Jesus Christ is God. He is God the Son who took on flesh, came to this earth, fully man and fully God, lived the life that we could not live, and he died on the cross, poured out his blood to pay the penalty for sin for all who would trust in him. If you put your faith in this Jesus, who died to save sinners and has risen from the dead, this Savior will save you from your sins and give you the hope of eternal life. And that hope can be yours today if you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ. So I, I plead with you, dear non-Christian friend, would you put your faith in this Jesus this morning? Come to the knowledge of the truth. Find the hope of eternal life that is in Him alone. Dear friends, the Protestant Reformation recovered this vital truth. That sound doctrine, the doctrine of gospel grace, leads to godly living. The knowledge of the truth, faith in the gospel of God's saving grace, the hope of eternal life, produces a life that is ple pleasing to God. It produces godliness among the people of God. And so I want to ask all of us, brothers and sisters, dear friends, look in your hearts this morning. Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your knowledge of the truth? Are you finding encouragement by the hope of eternal life? And is it all leading to godliness, increased godliness and good works in your life? That's the ultimate goal of pastoral ministry of which Paul reminded Titus. And that's why I'm here. So that week after week, and month after month, and year after year, sermon after sermon, sermon series after sermon series, all of the study and preparation, every class that I would teach, all of the difficult meetings and the more delightful meetings, every prayer meeting, every draining discipline case, Every encouragement, as I see one more person come to faith in Christ, be baptized. All of the babies and hospital visits and funerals and weddings and goodbyes. All of it for this goal. That's why I'm here, for your godliness. 
to preach and pray and love and stay so that you would flourish in faith, knowledge, hope, and godly living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, for the hope of eternal life through faith in Christ alone. And I pray that you would grow us in the knowledge of the truth. And this would translate by your grace to godly living in our lives for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.